Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm most excellent. How are you? <laughs> Um, well, uh, I, I'm good in part uh, because um, it's not uh, – it doesn't happen all that often, Nia, that you and I have a conversation about something that happens or has happened in U.S. government for the first time in our country's history. That's true. I it's mean, true. Generally speaking, a lot been, of what, the a government's lot of what, been around the block. Yeah, and a lot of what we discuss, whether it be government documents, processes, etc., they happen with quite a bit of regularity. I mean, you and I discuss the fact that, you know, so much of what the media says is brand new in in American government today really it really isn't right (laughs) it's like when people say this is the worst it's ever been i'm like civil war i mean come on great depression right Right. Uh, i mean we could just point to several things in history yeah you know like no that's probably considered worse well Um, the the polarization is terrible today really did you see what went on in the early 1800s right right okay i mean like Yeah, people, at least theoretically, I mean, most senators aren't throwing an elbow, although Kevin McCarthy may be elbowing people in the kidneys or whatever. But generally speaking, they are not throwing an elbow on the on the floor floor, of the Congress, of the House or the Senate, whereas back in the day. You know, pick up you your know. cane and start whacking somebody with it. Yeah, so, yeah, right. But, so we have been in more uncivilized times than we are currently. Yeah, but um, but but today we get to discuss something that has occurred for the first time in our country's history, we and that do. and that is uh, the Supreme Court has given itself a code of ethics. Yeah, they refer to it as a code of conduct. Code of conduct. conduct. Sorry, code of conduct. Yes. And we will link that to we will link that in the uh, research the guide. Research yeah. guide because mm-hmm. that's an important government document. It is a brand crispy new government document. Yeah, like yeah. hot off the press. Like I mean, actually, it's not even been to a press. But anyway, yes, um, hot off the internet, as it were. And um, yeah. And so so what's on interesting the- about that, to me at least, is. In 230 years, nobody has written a code of conduct for the Supreme Court, but they have felt pressured in the oh in yes the yes. last couple of years to to come up with this document. Was it unanimous? It was. It was unanimous. We shouldn't really be super surprised by that because, as Augie will remind us on a regular basis, m- many of the Supreme Court findings are unanimous or darn close. Yes. I mean, th- this whole thing of the 5 4, that's what makes the papers, but a whole bunch of it is 9 0 or 8 1. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you could get that that level of agreement, uh, on the, anything uh, else, like, like imagine know. if you got the UN to agree at that level. <laughs> 
the United States Congress, right? Right, okay. or the Congress. We would all fall over in shock if if there was, or even just imagine wherever you are getting that in your group of teammates or your group of colleagues or or, or your friend circle. Or your friend circle when you say, or, what do we want for dinner? Or, I mean, if you could get that kind of agreement. Or, you know, family members during holiday meals. Oh, my goodness. It would be amazing. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so they came up with this code. Yes. It's about, it's, about four, it's about 14 pages in total, Nina. Okay, I was going to ask you how long okay. it was because it doesn't seem like it's very long. No, it's not very long. Um, uh, about uh, slightly over seven pages is the actual code itself, right? So the code is comprised of five canons – Okay, and numerous subsections, and then it concludes with five pages of commentary. Of course, it does. Okay, which explain how and why the Supreme Court code of conduct differs from that to which the lower federal courts must adhere. So basically, right. they wrote an opinion. Yes, pretty much. With their code of conduct. <laughs> right. Okay. So oh, here's Supreme Court never change. <laughs> so here, here here's our ruling. And then here's the here's explanation. Why. Yeah, here's the explanation <laughs> for it. Right. But in this instance, no dissents. No nobody no. who says, no, 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 no we no. got it all wrong. So getting this uh, that's why it's so short. This is what they could agree on. Oh sure, and is this divided court? Yeah, I'm not sure they could have gotten a big, long, huge document because hello. Yeah, and I think it also reflects the fact that, um, uh, uh, to get that kind of consensus, <laughs> meant that they couldn't go into a lot of specific details, right? Because, it, it, listeners, what Nia and I were referencing, and Nia mentioned this just a, a few uh, moments ago. Um, the court was being pressured to produce this code of conduct or this ethical, if you will, uh, guidelines. Um, uh, because earlier this year, so you know, we're recording late 2023, um, uh, uh, there were a series of newspaper articles, um, that chron chronicled extensive travel undertaken by Justices Thomas and Alito that were paid for by wealthy conservative, if you will, benefactors, all right? And I think one of the reasons why this code is this short and has this kind of commentary is that the justices have different ethical concerns, right? So whereas on one hand, Thomas and Alito were getting roasted by the media and by certain Democratic senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee because of their travel. Some of the other justices were getting roasted because of other ethical concerns related to books and attendance at speeches, et cetera, et cetera. And recusals. Yes, and not recusing all, them. All yes. of the justices at one point, well, not all of them, but many of them, 
have been accused of not recusing themselves when they should have. And recusal is when a justice says, I will not hear the case and I will not rule on the case because I have a vested interest in some part of the case. Either it's a friend of mine who's one of the attorneys, it's a previous business venture, it's something, or I've ruled on it in a lower court. I believe, didn't our most recent judge, she didn't... Brown Jackson has had to recuse herself from because a couple she ruled of cases. something in lower court, court and she's yes. like, it's not fair for me to then rule a, like, oh yeah, I was so brilliant the first time I'm going to vote for myself again, right? Like she can't, and, she can't and, do that. So she recused and, herself. And Justice Kagan, uh, the first couple of years she was on the court, Same had thing. to, had to recuse herself because um, in her previous position as solicitor general, she had uh, represented the government in cases that in then the made their way to the Supreme, the Supreme Court. Court. Okay. Um, so there, yeah. there, and so that recusal process is not an abnormal, like nobody gives you side eye. If you recuse yourself for a re for a good reason, they give, they would give you side eye for recusing yourself for something like, yeah, I got things to do next Thursday. I'm going to the dentist. I'm going to, you know, Oh, this is a boring tax case. I'm I don't out really here. Yeah. I don't <laughs> really care. You can't recuse yourself because of that. Right. You have, when you are appointed to judge, isn't it called a duty to sit? Yes. And, and Where you're it, it, sort it, of it, required, even if it's super boring, you are required to sit there and pay full attention and, we're and gonna, apply the law accordingly. Yeah, this duty to sit or the obligation to hear a case becomes really important in regards to the commentary, because one of the exceptions that gets carved out by the Supreme Court in their code of conduct is the fact that if a whole bunch of the justices recuse themselves. It could affect a case and there's no other, if you will, justices that can be assigned so that there is the full complement of nine justices to hear the case. Okay. Does right. that make sense? All right. So, right. so if you were, okay. In so a lower you court, could in fact, not be, fulfilling the court's ultimate obligation, which is to rule on the constitutionality of X thing, if enough justices said, sorry, I can't be a part of that case. And unlike lower federal courts, the where you can courts, replace people, you can bring in people from other yeah, courts, other, other courts, or that there are additional judges on that appeals court. The Supreme Court doesn't have a bench, right? It is the bench. It is the bench. It is. The, that, it is that's nine the, and done. Yeah, there's nine no, and done, right? Okay. There's no, uh, what are they, pinch hitting, right? There's no. Yeah, yeah. There's no substitutes <laughs> like you see in, you know, Baseball. soccer match, you know, like in soccer matches, right? Okay. Right. You know, the midfielder is no longer performing well or, you know, he, he just got tackled hard and he broke his ankle. Okay. Hey, we're subbing in. Yeah, there's no subbing in here, right? right? You know, and for our uh, uh, professional wrestling fans, you know, this is not some sort of tag team where, you right. know, you, you get you, hit by a chair and you tag out to somebody, to somebody else. else. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. They come in the ring. That's not. Yeah, doesn't yeah. work that way. So. Um, uh, so uh, let's go ahead and get into what it is 
um, what's actually in the code. Okay? okay. Well, first of all, it was somewhat of a surprise when the court basically with like next to no PR just went ahead and dropped it on us on November 13th. Right. Okay. On a Monday. They right? dropped. Yeah. On a Monday afternoon. Like, oh, hey. And by the way, here's our code of conduct. Okay. See you tomorrow. Okay. Like, like yes. And everybody went, wait, wait what? 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 <laughs> and, and moreover, this is stated in the code of conduct, the rules in the code of conduct, as far as the justices are concerned, are not new. They said <laughs> that they wanted to dispel this misunderstanding, quote, that has led in recent years to the misunderstanding that the justices of this court, unlike other unlike all other jurists in this country, regard themselves as unrestricted by any ethics rules. To dispel this misunderstanding, we are issuing this code, which largely represents a codification of principles that we have long regarded as governing our conduct. So they basically just came out and said, okay, first of all, you know, there was no press conference. It wasn't like Chief Justice John Roberts said, hey, hey, look at us. We did something really cool and we were responding to our critics. No, they dropped it on a Monday afternoon and then basically said, there ain't anything new here. So like- This is what we've been doing all along. All along. We don't know what you're fussing about. But yeah, right. Basically. <laughs> Which is when we get to the criticisms of the code, this is one of the criticisms. There's, yeah. you know, because- Basically, the justices are like, we've been doing this, Yeah, as you just mentioned, we've been doing this all along, so we'll just go ahead and put this in one document so you know, you idiots can understand that we've been doing this all along, right? Okay. So they say. Yes. Okay. So um, as I mentioned, there are, okay, and I'm not going to go into the weeds, if you will, um, with all the canons the, and the, the subsections, the, the, the subsections, uh, the the commentary itself, I think, um, is very noteworthy. Um, first of all, the court said its code of conduct is quote substantially derived from the code of conduct for other federal judges, but then it goes on to say. We've adapted it to the unique institutional setting of the Supreme Court, right? Yeah. It's like everybody else, only special because we're different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that basically what they said? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of sort of like… Which you know, I call BS on because you can't mm -hmm. be the same and be special and different. Well, it's kind of sort of like, you know, <clears throat> I have students who are just like, you know, we want to be treated equally. And then they'll come up to me and say, but I need I, an extension. extension. Yeah. And I'm like, but then you're not being treated, treated equally. equally. Okay. <laughs> you're being right. treated, you're being treated differently. Right. When you, you say I need an extension, what you really should be asking me for is can everybody in the class have an extension? Cause then you're not asking for special treatment. Yeah, I don't, I mean I buy I buy part of that because obviously it is a unique court in the sense that there it's the last one, right? It it's is. the court of yeah. last resort. So the pressures on the Supreme Court are unique 
they are different than the pressures on any other court because every other court has the back of of fine take it to another court and see what they say <laughs> that's that's or 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 again as we just mentioned you know lower federal courts can ask judges from other appellate courts to sit in right. by designation or and they can compare their rulings to other Yes. districts and courts and other rulings appellate like you know nobody acts in a vault in a vacuum at the yeah, lower, lower level vault. they but, look at all the other courts you know, justice robert jackson infamously you know uh once said that the supreme court um uh is infallible because it's final right, right? um it is right the final whether case. it's whether it's infallible or not right. Is it, a it's defined, defined by, by its, its, its finality. finality. Yeah, that's right. right. Okay. <laughs> so, and the commentary really emphasizes that's what makes the U.S. Supreme Court unique. Okay, fine. Okay. But then, the, but then the commentary goes on to say decisions as to whether a justice should recuse themselves is up to the individual justice. And this is what's, you know, driven a lot of the current criticism of the court, which is why why is it up to the individual justice? Right? You know, and and, 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 and my are, objection, I'm raising my hand because my yeah. objection to that line of thinking. So okay. Augie and I have different views of this code of conduct. Yes. Yeah, we, yes, we do. Yep. But I think one thing that we probably agree on is that self-adjudication is maybe not the most transparent way to go about things. Yes. And it will lead to this being an ongoing question. It will lead to it being an ongoing problem. If you get to decide with no input from anyone else, whether you're acting in an ethical or unethical manner, you're never going to find yourself unethical. Like, no human is, uh, I mean, rarely, maybe, maybe yeah, upon it, deep self-reflection you might, but in the moment, most people, I, I think, I truly believe this about the Supreme Court justices, like I believe it about everybody else. Most people, when they are acting, they are acting in what they think is good interest and good faith most people hardly hardly ever do people wake up in the morning and go today i am going to be a bad faith actor and do terrible things in the world now we know some people who might do that and you and i personally know a couple of people who might do that but generally yeah it's not how people act and moreover i would even say unless they give me a reason to question then i won't Right. Right. Maybe maybe I fall on the the the, the spectrum of, you know, um, you know, the, oh, the, the you're you, less cynical than I am. You know, the better That's angels, so nice. the better. And in, in 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 many of my students, if they heard this, they would be like, "Oh my goodness, Professor, he's Og, having some sort of out of body you know, experience. Right? Is <laughs> is he having a stroke? But <laughs> it, 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 unless you give me a reason to doubt the sincerity of your commitment to ethical behavior, I'm not going to immediately go to that place and say, you know, you, that's the good professor in you who says, I'm believing you're not cheating unless you give me you, you, real reason, reason to believe you are cheating. Yes. Then I will believe that you are not. Yes. 
because otherwise you have to go through life being super suspicious of what is it 160 students each semester, semester. which would be exhausting yeah and that's no way to live no, um and it's it, no way it, to live a life i okay. i agree i'm a little more cynical because i'm like mm, power corrupting but anyway but the issue that i have with the individual deciding is that each of us can very easily have blinders on right i mean exactly it's you know i know what my motives are so it's going to be fine fine and because of what's been reported and in in nia you and i've talked about this off recording um because i am a scholar of the supreme court i was um now I am being a skeptic. I was skeptical of many of the media reports about Thomas and Alito's travel simply because I've been aware of that kind of behavior occurring throughout the history of the U.S. Supreme Court, right? right. And I didn't necessarily want to engage in the whataboutism of other justices, but I just thought it was one of those it was one of those situations where the media was smelling blood because a bunch of Senate Democrats okay didn't like recent Supreme Court rulings so they were using this as a wedge to put pressure on the court which has been done in the past right right there have been Senate there were senators after the Warren Court's series of civil rights rulings that all of a sudden found unethical behavior among some of the Warren Court justices. And they did this as a way to put pressure on the court to, you know, go back into their lane, right? Right. You know, um, you know, and, you know. Get out of civil rights. Yeah, get out of civil rights. You don't make policy. Say you don't make policy. Which is what you're doing with, by yeah, doing, yeah. By ruling in these ways. Ways. Right. You know, you know, um, you know, leave education to states. You know, that's a federal. You know, that's federalism. That's states' rights. You know, whatever the case may be, right? So I was more skeptical of this this narrative, right? That today's justices are more unethical, right? Simply because I've long known of a number of justices across the ideological spectrum who didn't think twice that their behavior was unethical, right? I mean, you know, Abe Abe Fortas didn't think it was unethical when he visited the White House over 35 times the first three years he was a justice on the Supreme Court to advise President Johnson, you're a member of the Supreme Court. You need to stop informally advising the president, even right. if the president is one of your besties, right? You can't right. do that anymore, right? You can't, okay? You can't make an obscene amount of money on the side because your full-time gig is the uh, is as a justice of the Supreme Court. Right, you so your speaking fees should be minimal at most right right okay 
and uh, yet we've had justices who've charged unbelievable amounts of money, of money for right? speaking fees. Right? Okay. You know this this trend to where every new Supreme Court justice gets a book deal, okay, is starting to alarm me simply because what they're getting paid to write these books is easily 10, 15 times their annual salary on the Supreme Court. Right. You start talking about that kind of money, you start talking about the value of the trips that Thomas and Alito got, and yes, non-skeptical, non-cynical, non-jaded people are going to start thinking, do we now have a Supreme Court, much like, uh, uh, what was the old adage, we have the best Congress that money can buy? Exactly. That's We where, have a Supreme Court that's being purchased. Okay, and that's where my concern arises, because when you get in your own head, well, this is acceptable behavior. And, you know, my colleagues do this, and it's, and they think it's okay, and what I'm doing isn't any worse. Oh, and you get that in a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, sorry, police come to mind. Yes. Um, military um, units come to mind. Yes. Where, where behavior that would not, that you would that you would not think was ethical once you see that everybody around you is doing something it's harder to measure the ethic the ethicality that's not right the ethicalness the yeah the 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 ethics of it right the, right I mean, it's yeah. really hard to measure that when you're in a group of people who oh well we all take speaking fees we all take speaking fees. So if my speaking fee is $100,000 and your speaking fee is $100,000, then how is that outrageous? It's not. We're getting paid the same. Now, if my speaking fee was $10 million and yours was $100,000, that would be weird. And I put to you that your speaking fee as a Supreme Court justice should probably be nothing. Or it should be – it covers the cost of the travel, right? Yes. It covers the cost of going wherever it is that you're going. But, but I also, I have a whole view of public servants as people who probably shouldn't be making a huge amount of money out of being public servants. And that's a whole different, I mean, one of the reasons that you go into public service is, or one of the reasons that you, or one of the things, sorry, that you're aware of when you go into public service is that you will not be making a lot of money. You could be making a lot more money being a lobbyist on constitutional issues Oh yeah, or lobbying one with one of the law firms in D.C. for the Supreme Court than you make as a professor at VCU. I'm not trying to slam VCU, but they don't have the kind of money to pay you what those guys could pay you. That's right. To work the court. Yeah, you could yeah. work the court and make probably at least a million dollars a year. Yeah, and I mean, you don't. It, I'm as far as I know. Am I correct that you do not make that from VCU? No. <laughs> right. I thought that make you that would make you giggle, um, right? Because I mean, even President Rao doesn't make a million dollars in his <laughs> yeah, salary I mean, yeah, from ECU. I, mean, I mean, it's just not. But that's not what we choose to do. What we choose to do is be involved in something that is public oriented, and when we do that, we know that we're doing that at the cost of making a lot of money. Yeah, financial remuneration. Right. Um, we get a different kind of remuneration. We get. Yeah. 
we yeah, get the they, pleasure of graduation where we see people graduate and we're like, yeah, we helped, we helped that happen. This is wonderful. Yeah. Or, well, wait, you know, you when know, I, when I and, see students, students go on and they do well. Uh, and they in, get it right. You it, see it, them get ideas get it, and then work it, yes. them. You're like, yes, that's what we want here. Yeah. You know, the and power then, you, of know, thought. you know, they graduate and then they send me emails or they call me up and they say, Hey, Augie, you know, um, uh, I got to use, you know, blah, blah, blah from this class in my job. <laughs> and it was great. Right. Right. Cause or, I knew a thing and I feel good know, about it. Yeah. And I, so, impress, you know, I impressed my bosses or my teachers because I went ahead and, you know, start, started talking about, you know, arbitrary and capricious. And they were like, <laughs> how do you know about this, the arbitrary and capricious standard? Well, I had this professor as an undergrad who just, you know, drummed it in our heads, class after class. Right. Um, and I'm like, oh, so uh, uh, and in 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 and you used it correctly, and they're like, oh yeah, and it, it it's and it's opening. <laughs> and it feels good, right? Good. It's yeah, exciting yeah, right? thing. I, there, I, there's there's another thing about the code that I think that should be mentioned. Okay. And, and this is going to segue Nia into our discussion of criticisms of the code of conduct. In the commentary section of the code. There is a, a couple paragraphs that talk about um, that uh, there is no mechanism for enforcing the canons in the subsections of the code on the individual justices. And the commentary makes it very clear that the question of enforcement should be left to the individual judge. And it quoted the uh, uh, the late Supreme Court Justice uh, Tom Clark um, when Clark observed that judges must bear the primary responsibility for requiring appropriate judicial behavior. And then it outlined various steps that the court may take to assist the justices in complying with the code. So, for instance... The clerks of the justices will be given the, the additional task of, let's say the Supreme Court agrees to hear a case. One of the justices' clerks is supposed to go ahead and investigate to make sure that there is no conflict of interest. Because this has actually come up where federal judges have had to, after the fact, recuse themselves because they didn't know they had a conflict of interest. And some of you may be, you know, some listeners may, may be saying, well, how did you not know? Well, if you're talking about a complex business security case where there are shell companies and holding companies Okay, et cetera, that et cetera. You may or may not have stock with and with, didn't even realize. realize. Right. There's that. There's also if you think that most law firms are two guys, <laughs> you're you're bonkers. <laughs> the big law firms that are in front of the Supreme Court are hundreds of lawyers. You may have worked with one on a case. You may have, I mean, there may be some connection or, that you're not even aware I'll, of. So a lawyer. In a case in front of the Supreme Court is part of a firm that has 200 lawyers, and one of those lawyers, okay, is working on a different case, okay, 
right. and that case comes to the Supreme Court, right? And that case for that company, the justice may have, you know, you know, you know, um, you know, minimal stock in, right? right. Um, but they don't know. Or they may have ruled on that on some aspect, aspect of that of case. case and, and, and they're unaware. Right. They, then you have the issue of spouses, right? Oh, spouses. Okay. But but again, they're okay, complicated. They are complicated. You can't you can't be grumpy about a spouse's politics, which is part of what the pressure was on, on Jenny and Jenny and um Clarence. Clarence Thomas. Yeah. Because she is a very politically active individual. And yes. her politics are not something that a great number of Democrats care for. That's right. Yes. And they tried to to con- connect those in some way. But but hypocritically, and I'm going to just say this hypocritically, Justice Ginsburg's husband was also politically active, but he was politically active in a way that Democrats liked. Yes. And so they did not bring that up with him. And and this comes back to this question of Augie and I always say, be careful about the paintbrush flicking back on yourself. Like when yes. you go to paint people with this this you know with broad strokes with broad strokes you are likely to get some of that on your own shirt yes you, you have to be really careful about the idea of i don't like this person's politics so i'm going to try to make a rule yeah i actually had a um a, a colleague m- w- go ahead and i'm not picking on ginsburg either like that, no no that, yeah yeah but spouses I a- are commonly like if you if you could tell your spouse what to do augie would you be divorced <laughs> yeah right i mean i'm not trying to be ugly but But, 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 if you can tell your spouse what to do and like they're not an autonomous person there would never be a divorce there would never be well there would never be anger there would never be beating there would never be anything people would have completely harmonious marriages that would and and to your point nia the anecdote i was going to share is that i had a conversation with a colleague Okay, who is 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 you know very proudly feminist, and she was concerned about this criticism of Jenny Thomas because, from her perspective, he's supposed to tell her what to do, or she's supposed to sublimate her, not have a career, right? Her career, her goals, her her, 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 her beliefs, yes. To support and his, to be the dutiful wife, stand well, by your man, your Tammy Wynette. Yeah, and she was just like, <laughs> I'm really concerned about how far we, you know, this might go. I okay. agree with that. Okay, because again, okay. Well, and tell me who, which Supreme Court justice would marry a person who would be married to a person who would not be as powerful a personality as they are. Yes. I mean, like you don't, you don't, a marriage does not survive if both of you are not similarly, you know, drawn. Right. And, you know, uh, uh, and so, you know, you, you're full of vim and vigor, but I'll just stand over here and be a wallflower. That's not going to happen with any of the spouses. I remember uh, a few years ago, I was reading a, a biography 
of uh, former Justice Sandra Day O'Connor Neo. And uh, there were a couple chapters. His husband was politically active. <laughs> okay, but his name, I think, was uh, John O'Connor. And uh, John O'Connor really struggled when the family moved to Washington, D.C., because when they were still in Arizona, he was a partner in a thriving law practice. Right. All right. But when they moved to D.C., you know, he basically had to get a brand new job. But his legal his law practice had to change because he couldn't represent interests that might come in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. And he struggled. And, you know, Justice O'Connor, OK, in some ways felt bad, but in other ways, the way they rectified it in their marriage was him acknowledging that early on in their marriage, she, she subjugated her career so his. that to his, right. okay, so he could become successful. And that was the way, you know, they went, you know, he finally wrapped his mind around the fact that he was now, you know, Mr. Justice O'Connor. Right. Okay. Uh, can I, from a woman's perspective, this, I'm with your feminist colleague, this, this drives me bonkers. I don't know that I'm particularly feminist, except that I believe in women's rights. So, you know, there you go. Um, but we have this weird thing where where the Supreme Court seems to be special, even uh, in terms of spouses, but we're okay with senator spouses. I don't know Elizabeth Taylor, right? Like having yeah. a big, huge career. That's Je that's John Warner. She, yeah. He was one of her many husbands, um, and he was one of her many husbands. Not she was one of his many wives. Let's put that in the proper perspective. <laughs> yes. But we we want first ladies to be sort of to have a cause and to be active and to be yeah. whatever. We want all these other spouses to do these things. But when it comes to the Supreme Court, we're going to say, no, your spouses can't can't do that. And that's 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 ridiculous. It's ridiculous on both sides. The male spouses and the female spouses of Supreme Court justices are not in the mix. Then they shouldn't be in the mix unless unless they bring a case before the court, court in which case their significant other has to recuse. Yes. And that's, but, that's the only, and they did have, I think the justice Thomas and Jenny Thomas did have that at one instance where he probably should have recused himself. And I don't know that he did. No, he did not. And, 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 and but, and that's a, that's not a good situation, right? That's not how you'd want just it, like it, justice Ginsburg should never have heard any case where her husband was, her was involved law, in the yeah her husband's law, law firm. firm right yeah I mean because he was a well-known tax attorney in Washington D.C. right right but and I, I mean, don't you, know if she recused or not but those but, are instances where that should not be in question you should recuse yeah if your spouse is involved in something even tangentially before the court and there are numerous examples among the lower federal courts where federal judges have not recused themselves even when their spouse's employer was a party in a case that they were ruling on, <laughs> That's right? That's so wrong. Okay. That's wrong. So, okay, this is one of those situations to where, okay, if, if we have too, too clear of a rule, 
it's going to harm spouses. And if we don't have a clear rule, then you're going to have the situation like we have with the integrity of the court, court, right? You know, and and, and Clarence putting the clerks in charge of saying, is there a. Well, I mean, you know, yet another, you know, thankless task that we have now dumped onto the clerks. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, but at least there's yeah. at least there's some yeah accountability in yeah. that. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the criticisms, because <laughs> that's what we want to do on this podcast. Okay. Um. Uh. So. Uh. uh so. Uh, uh. One of the criticisms. I, I I think enforcement. Yeah, enforcement is the big one, right? Um, and, um, uh, so there, there's the enforcement issue, uh, because many folks would like to see, um, a body within the judiciary, um, comprised of federal judges from across the courts who can receive complaints, review the complaints. Okay. And, you know, issue, if you will, um, rulings in regards to, you know, uh, p- potential ethical violations, right? Right. Um, and do you uh, want to know why I think that that's yeah. a problem real quickly? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I know this, you're, well, no, we'll get into it when you, when you, when you make your argument later, then I will make my anti-argument of your argument. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, um, the new code, as we just discussed, is very vague about um, a, just, uh, a justice's spouse's personal or political activities. Right. Um, so what we just mentioned are criticisms from those on the left of the ideological spectrum, right? Oh, can um, I guess not the criticism from the right? Oh, the, yeah, go ahead. There shouldn't have been a code at all. That is correct. Because that is bowing to this, uh, what we call woke pressure, right? Yes. The the pressure from the left to, to 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 make a code that by its by its own lonesome on some folks on the right were like, well, then we shouldn't. Well, in particular, those on the right are just like the court was caving in to the left. And the left really isn't interested in having a, a code. The left was interested in having in, a witch hunt. Yeah, in, in trying to again push the court back into decisions and rulings that the left likes. Right. right? And they're going to do this by calling into question the court's legitimacy because it's populated by a bunch of uneth- unethical hacks. Right. <laughs> so for those on the right, they're uh, and like, on the right, they're correct. It's a dangerous game to play to call into question the legitimacy of the court. Yes. Because watch, be careful about where that takes you. And and, and I'm going to mention something that just happened the day before we recorded this episode. The Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday um, finally waded through all of the amendments to the motion to subpoena the benefactors of the wealthy trips for Alito and Thomas. Ah. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say this on the record. Democrats in the Senate are going to rue the day that they issued those subpoenas 
to have those folks testify because the next time the Republicans are in charge of the Senate and have control of the Senate Judiciary Committee, they're going to be issuing subpoenas to investigate anybody who gave any money, any contract, any book contract, any speaking engagement for any liberal member of the Supreme Court. Yep. Okay. At some point in time, this has to stop. Right. right? This has to stop. Right. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Well, we'll investigate you. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll investigate, investigate you. you. I okay. mean, that's that's a that's yeah. very um, uh, playground. Yeah. I mean, and that's not how we we should be conducting ourselves as a as a government in, in whole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, others criticized the fact that it was a consensus document. And because it was a consensus document, it didn't break any new ground. I mean, yeah, if you were going to get all nine to agree, it wasn't going to be like something (laughs) they weren't going to say drop in the middle and we all have a unicorn because then we would all go, wait, what? Wait, what? Like they were never going to do that. They were always going to be as it was always going to be as generic and it was always going to be as generic a document because it goes to your point of the more specific you get, the more complicated it gets. Actually, people think that being specific is going to make things uncomplicated, and that's true when you're making a list to go to the grocery store. It sure. is not true with anything else. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Um, I mean, the more clear you make a rule, the the harder it is for the rule to be enforced. I'm even thinking about that right now as I uh, negotiate with my ex-wife um, in regards to our daughter's Christmas list, right? Right. Okay, you would think a Christmas list would would okay, make well, you get these things and I get these things. Oh, it, no. Yeah, okay, you know, and, and now, no, now you guys are basically having summits. Okay, and now we're you know, why do you get to buy X, right? Or you know, you know that costs you know $150. What are you buying that totals $150, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, that thing's going to be her favorite, and you're going to be the one that gave it to her. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm the one who's buying her a piece of clothing. You know how well that goes over with an 11-year-old? Right. <laughs> okay. oh, thanks for the socks, Dad. <laughs> so, but do you like the code or do you not like the code? Um, or is that too simple a question? Uh, in some ways, um, I don't like the either-or nature of it. Um, okay. um, Are there chunks you like and chunks you don't like? Um, I don't like the lack of enforcement. Um, uh, and again, leaving it up to the individual justice, um, I think, um, I mean, cause let's face it in the legal profession in all 50 States, if a lawyer or a judge misbehaves, there is a standalone committee that reviews the complaints. Right. And you can be disbarred. Okay, and many of the complaints are put aside or worthless. They're cheesy. They didn't win my case. Okay, well, yeah, you know what? Because your case was unwinnable. Move on or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Or or whatever, like things like that where people say, I don't like this person. Okay, but that doesn't rise to misconduct. Yes. Being unlikable as a lawyer. Well, okay. I mean, have you ever (laughs) met a lawyer or a doctor or a 
you know, whoever. I mean, like lots of you people know, in the profession are great and likable, and lots of people in the profession are not great and not likable. But that's not a reason to disbar somebody. You know, you, 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 it has could, to rise to a certain level, level of, of, you know, you know, criminality or whatever, yeah, inappropriate or behavior, unethical, immoral behavior, 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 right? You know, that's like you know, filing an ethics complaint against a doctor because the doctor says, uh, comes you in cancer. and you have cancer. The doctor didn't cause the cancer, right? right? Now, right. could the could the doctor have said it perhaps in a kinder, kinder. gentler, you know, manner? Yeah, perhaps. Okay, but the fact that the doctor came in and said, uh, uh, "Looks got, like you're dying." I, I got some bad news. I'm Mr. sorry. What? <laughs> I got some bad news, Mr. Roggenbaugh. Okay, you got two months to live. Damn, right? You know, it's kind of sort of like, you know. ease into that a little bit? Or, you, know, you know, if a judge goes ahead and gives you the maximum sentence allowed by law, well, that's the discretion given to the judge. Right. right? That's not unethical behavior, behavior on the part of the judge, unless you can show that the judge gave that to you because of personal dislike like, or, or you know, racial animus or, animus or, or gender animus. Or, but if not. You know, right before he went ahead and gave you the max sentence, he went ahead and criticized you for the clothes you wore. <laughs> right. yeah. and, he, and he said, and you may be the stupidest person ever. You're going to prison for life. You're like, wait a minute. What? No, okay. no, 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 no. But, okay. So I, I agree with you. I think that an, an extra body or a a body that could hear a complaint would be a very useful – it would go a long way towards transparency too. It would go a long tw- way towards the – the institution looking like it cares about, about what people think. Think, yeah. And because right it, now the Supreme Court doesn't always look like that. No. Um. And and for our listeners, this is where Nia and I disagree. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Nia. Your your primary value in this discussion, the value that you would like to see emphasized and furthered the most, is transparency. Yes. And and in in general. I tend to agree with you, but then the institutionalist in me kicks in, <laughs> right? Okay. I don't care about your institutionalism. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. Okay. <laughs> but the institutionalist in me finds this really odd because if the court did issue the code of conduct in response to the Senate, it makes me wonder how the Senate would respond if the United States Supreme Court then started to issue rulings telling the Senate how it should conduct its business. Yeah, it wouldn't. Okay. It wouldn't. It would say it would say, uh, stay in your lane, Supreme Court. And 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 I hear you on that argument because it does make sense to me that the institution should be allowed to function as an independent body of itself, or it yeah, or it isn't, or or it isn't in fact an independent body if it is being told what to do, or it has to react in terms of the Senate. And the threat there is from the Senate saying, you know what, maybe we won't confirm any more justices until. We see a code of conduct or we see some movement. And I hear you on that, but I counter with <laughs> the, the Senate is made up of people who are elected and the Supreme Court serves for life. 
So it is already an institution that is um, unaccountable to the people. Insulated mm. from that that accountability, that level of accountability. Somebody at some point may be not elected as a senator. I know it practically never happens, but it's possible, right? It's possible within the system that we currently have. It is significantly harder to punish the Supreme Court justice. Yeah, because absent impeachment. You don't. You can't. Yes. So, but I hear you on the should it should it allow the other branches, executive or or, or legislative, legislative, to force it to act in certain ways. And I don't know. That's tough for me. I mean, I hear you on it, but if there's another problem, it's like, but, 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 but they're lifetime appointees and it, it's a different standard. So I don't know. I'd have to think about that. That's but, where this civil discourse thing comes in. So but, but, I think you're wrong, but I can't figure out why. No, 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 no. But, but. <laughs> in this instance, both of us can be right. Well, that's true. We can both okay. be right and both be wrong. Okay. We and have multitudes. <laughs> in the listeners, what Nia is pointing to is what is described by scholars as the counter-majoritarian problem of our federal judiciary. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, counter-majoritarian. Okay. The framers created the judiciary to be independent, as you described it. It is independent in regards to um, accountability via a democratic process like elections. Now, the reason for it, as you know, Nia, you and I have discussed at length, is you want an independent judiciary who can tell the political branches when they have run afoul of the U.S. Constitution. When they violated theoretically in a non-political manner. Yeah, and they violated civil rights, civil liberties, etc. On the other hand, in a democracy, and this was one of the criticisms of the anti-federalists of the then-proposed Constitution, you can't say that you have a quote-unquote democracy when you have one whole branch of the federal government, which has the power to correct the behavior of the people's elected representatives, unaccountable to the people. All right? Yeah. Okay. So when you have the political branches potentially um, infringing upon that independence, okay, well, yeah, so yeah, th this, mean, is, this is where it gets difficult, right? It's a Gordian knot. Yeah, because – Quick, you know, somebody get me some scissors. Yeah, because the legitimacy of the court, according to many scholars – is its primary power, right. okay? Because if it's not viewed as legitimate, then people are less likely to follow its rulings. Exactly. Okay? Now, are the Senate Democrats questioning the legitimacy of some of the members of the current court for political gain? Oh, shocking, <laughs> right? I know. No. <laughs> I cannot believe that there's gambling, gambling in this establishment. establishment. Right? Okay. On the other hand, this is a legitimate concern, right? Because even people who are not Democrat, who are not liberal, okay, and, you know, will acknowledge that some of the behavior of the justices over the last 15 to 20 years 
has called into question um, the you know the the ethics of not only individual members but of the institution itself. Well, and if you make it up to the members, and even the chief justice can't come to your office and say, "Augie, yeah, yeah about about the strip poll in your office, <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask you to take that down." Right. It's bothering the other justices. It's noisy. It's loud in here. The partying, it's got to stop. Whatever. I mean, I can't imagine you and J-Rob having that conversation. But what I can imagine actually is J-Rob coming to you and saying, Augie, your book deal needs to be disclosed in full because we don't need Politico finding out that your book deal had a had an extra rider in it that if you got it done a month early, you got an extra $10 billion or whatever or, because they or, were trying or, or, to find a way to influence. Or the criticism of Sotomayor where she had her staff tell uh, places where she gave speeches. That they had to buy copies of her book. Book, right? So that I mean, they would be there for signings. Yeah, would they be there for signings. But with every additional copy of the book that is purchased. She makes money. She makes money, right? right. That just well, looks bad. Exactly. I, I, or I, J-Rob I, I, coming to you and saying, Augie, I appreciate that you want to write a textbook, but it's got to be open access. Yeah. Because you can't make a money. You, you, If you wrote a textbook, people would use it just because you're a Supreme Court justice. Because it carries more weight. Than, yes. than other people in the world. They, because you have this immense responsibility, you also have this immense power to, yes. to influence. Yes. Um, um, and so there is some real complicated. Yeah. So, it, so I hear you on the difference, be- I mean, on the, on the complication between transparency and institutionalism. Yes. Because you want the institution to be able to act independently and in its own way you don't want the supreme court to be an institution that acts just like congress because otherwise then it's why not, not just have a member of congress right like uh, yeah i mean you, why not you, just have it be a branch of congress well, yeah just, it could be a committee right right it could be a committee of congress okay and uh, and then and, we just don't have a supreme court and that's horrible well like we don't want that system because <laughs> the system we have is actually working well, I don't know if it's working well right now, but it generally speaking works pretty decently, I think. But but I mean the idea of judicial independence is one that has been copied and used around the world. Exactly. Right? And it's the standard. The standard yes, is, is in the world is, oh, we don't elect justices because we, we want them to be independent. To be independent, right? You know, and But you if know, you're gonna have people be independent, then they need to have some kind of guide. Yes. They, Otherwise, they, then they it need, gets wild westy up in here. Yeah, then they need to act. Okay. In, in a, a consistently a, ethical manner. manner, right? Yeah. Because, you know, as you pointed out, the only the only way to hold them accountable is the impeachment process, and as we've come to find out, the impeachment process is not Doesn't all that work. it does <laughs> Is it all that effective? Okay. And even if you get impeached, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're removed. No. I mean, because you got to be found guilty in the Senate. Uh, And as I tell my students, there's only been one Supreme Court justice, okay, Chase, okay, early on in our country's history, who was impeached, but he was not found guilty. 
Right. Right. Okay. So at that point, you know, it, he's like, it, whatevs, and he goes it, on and does it, his, job. his job. Right. Okay. I mean, you, you imagine the freedom you get after you've been impeached, oh, but you've not been found not, guilty. Found guilty. Oh, my right? goodness. I mean, you know, that the was the things Mitt, you would do after that. I mean, that was Mitt Romney's point. Okay. When after the second Trump impeachment and he was not found guilty. You know, that was Mitt Romney's lament, okay? Well, and Bill Clinton. You know, now there is nothing that's going to go ahead and stop him, <laughs> right? Exactly. Okay. I, and Bill Clinton didn't go on to be a dictator, but but nevertheless, I mean, there's the danger of that. If there you, is, yes. You if know, if, if, you, if the court system, if if the if impeachment doesn't find you, if you're not found guilty then that sort of takes the governor off of your behavior i would think oh my goodness oh sure i mean i mean this they this was their best shot and they couldn't take me down right okay ah now i can do whatever i want <laughs> yes right um i do i would like to mention one other thing that i think we uh probably lightly disagree on what's that i think that that the justices are somewhat political in action. And you have said to me that, yeah, Nia, but they're not in certain cases. And I appreciate you're saying that. And I do, I think we lightly disagree in the, in that area. I think they are more politically motivated. I think than you think they are. Um, you have a more, well, and maybe you just have a longer view of their actions over times than I do. You come from your perspective on um, the the behavior of justices falls more in line with the standard view of most political scientists. Most political scientists believe that judges um, um, uh, are are political actors. Um, this is known as the attitudinal or uh, behavioral uh, perspective which basically says that um, uh, judges are just as political as members of Congress and presidents. In fact, they are more easily predicted in regards to their attitudes um, over time. Okay. Um, for me, I think there are enough examples of Supreme Court justices um, who followed a different perspective, which is known as the legal um and and then there's a third perspective that i think is well represented by the current chief justice it's the um uh institutional or environmental perspective you know the current chief justice john roberts i think personally is a very conservative person but he often votes and casts you know opinions or writes opinions that is concerned about the court institutionally. Right. I I think Chief Justice John Roberts is the main reason why on November 13th we got a code of conduct. Okay? Because right. Cause he's because trying to protect the institution, institution from the from criticism. Not because individual if, uh, yeah. justices. Yeah, because if it was left up to Thomas Alito. They would never have answered the Sotomayor. They would not have answered the call, probably. Yeah, yeah, they would have never. Okay, but Roberts is concerned about the institution, right? Um, 
So, and I think there's plenty of evidence to support your particular perspective. I just am aware of some justices who were not, who are not or were not as easily characterized as political, right? Now, let's also be very clear. One's method of doing their job, you know, strict construction is versus loose. You can be faithful to that perspective, and it will lead you to results that will be congruent with one's political views. So, you know, Scalia being a strict constructionist usually led to conservative outcomes. Now, occasionally it led to liberal, just like Ginsburg was a loose constructionist, usually led to liberal outcomes or outcomes favored by liberals. Occasionally, not so much. But nevertheless, okay, they could go ahead and claim, I'm faithful to the method but it was satisfying their political, if you will, preferences, right? So yeah, I, I think there's I think there's plenty of evidence to support your view. I just go ahead and argue that at times there's too much evidence to suggest that justices will sometimes cast votes and write opinions that in their heart of hearts truly disagree with their political preferences. I'm okay with you being wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm kidding. I, oh, no, I think is. I think uh, that there's. I hear you on that. I I just I probably because it's so hard for me to separate myself from pol my political and social views that it's hard for me to imagine other people doing that. And then I get reminded when somebody says, oh, there's an election this year, that like the vast majority of people in the world don't care about this at all. They don't care about the government. Yeah. They don't care about politics. They don't care about that stuff at all. And I'm like, no, 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 you should care. You should care. These things are really important. Well, but, and but maybe they are and maybe they aren't. So that, that it's a good reminder for me that not well, everybody gonna... has to, not everybody puts that front and center so much of the time. And I'm going to give you another reminder something you have said to me, which is you've seen me lecture, teach classes, okay? And you know where I stand generally on almost every political issue, but you have remarked to me that you have watched me give lectures and teach classes where you can easily see how students have no idea where I stand politically. Right. Because my the way I conceive my job is it's not important. My right. And it, and it's influential in a way that is inappropriate in the classroom. That's right. You're not supposed okay. to be teaching kids what to think. You're supposed to be teaching them teaching how, to, how think. to think. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and it's possible. So it, but, but, drawing on your own experience. But it, right. it's. But and it, I do that when I'm in the, in the library setting. Yeah. Because when a student comes to you and says, Nia, I have this particular topic that I want to write on for a paper. And okay. from this particular point of view, which is different than your point of view, then I have to say, yeah, okay, say, well, okay. let's find information. That's right. Okay. Because that's not, I don't get to tell you what to think. I only get to tell you how, you to, how think. to think and how to, how find, to find information. information so that you can write the paper you want to write. 
Yep. Not not the paper you want to write, Nia. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Okay. That's a fair point that I that if I can do it, the justices can do it. But I'm better at it than they are. <laughs> well done. And that is the that is the the rock upon which I'm going to stand. <laughs> hey, thanks, Augie. <laughs> Thank you, Nia. <laughs> You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.